Hello and welcome to episode 276 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Sorry for the delay, but with the legend who is Marcelo Bielsa leaving the mighty Leeds United this week, it's thrown my week out of kilter. But thank you for joining me for a story from the west of England, expertly researched and written by Hayes from Podcast She Wrote. Thank you so much, Hayes. So, as always, a quick thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That's Tracy Newman and Emma Thomas. Thank you so much for your support. Now, how does free wine sound? <laughs> I think I know. I have your attention now, right? Well, after January that definitely lasted longer than I've ever remembered and was spring on the way, it's the perfect time to try your new favourite wine club, Wine52, for free. All you need to do is go to www.wine52.com slash truecrime, cover the postage costs of £5.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered to you. Wine52 is a discovery club that's all about showcasing the very best wine from a different region each and every month. This month it's the beautiful region of Bordeaux in France, which features a rich, gorgeous Bergerac, as well as a crispy and zesty Sauvignon Blanc from the award-winning Bordeaux families. I can tell you that my bottles from Wine 52 didn't last very long at all. But whatever wine is your fave, Wine 52 can help. Choose either a mixture, red-only or white-only case. Also included is Glug magazine, which delves into each region's wine culture and two tasty snacks as well. After your free case, you'll join the monthly wine club and there's no minimum commitment. You really can't go wrong as it's so straightforward to pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's www.wine52.com slash truecrime to claim your free case today. So let's set some context with our favourite guest of the month and year game. You ready? Top of the UK music charts this month was Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris with We Found the UK True Crime Podcast. In the US, the top spot was filled by Adele with Someone Like You. Have you ever been somewhere when this has been played at the end of the night and seen the various people in tears thinking about old loves? And that's just the people currently in relationships. Top album this week in Australia was Florence and the Machine with Ceremonials. And in the news this month, it was Teflon Silvio Berlusconi. He resigned as Prime Minister of Italy. So hard to keep track of that guy. Video game Minecraft was officially released. Scotland's first minister, Alex Salmond, remember him? was named the Spectator Magazine's Politician of the Year. How times change. Gives me hope. Maybe I could reach the 36th most popular UK true crime podcast this year. Who knows? On a much more serious note, Welsh national football team manager and legend of the mighty League United, Gary Speed, was found dead at his home in Chester. He was just 42 when he died. And seven people died and dozens more were injured after 34 vehicles collided with many bursting into flames on the M5 motorway near Taunton in Somerset. Did you guess the month and year? 
It was November 2011. So let's get on with today's story. When 17-year-old Penny Guy discovered she was pregnant in 1985, it was a shock to say the least. Having a child while she was still in her teens was never in the grand plan. But with the support of her family and her boyfriend, Kenny John, Penny decided to keep the baby and gave birth to a healthy son she named Barry. Life wasn't easy, but Penny was determined to be a good mum and she doted on her son, with the two developing a very close relationship. Young Barry's relationship with his dad was completely different, however. Barry's dad was violent and physically abusive towards him. He forced him to do chores, and if his dad wasn't happy with his efforts, he'd be made to undertake punishing exercise regimes. Barry simply craved the same attention and love from his dad that he received from his mum, and would often lie to impress him. But if you've ever spent time with someone who lies a lot, you'll know that this habit is a hard one to kick. But Kenny felt he was bringing up a difficult child the right way with discipline. After all, Barry had been no angel, and he was no stranger to trouble. He'd been convicted of armed robbery in his mid-teens after holding up a sweet shop in Haverford West, Pembrokeshire, threatening the shopkeeper with a knife, and he was always getting into scrapes. Unsure what to do with their wayward son, Kenny arranged for Barry to join the army in an attempt to instil some discipline, and so at the age of 18, Barry Rogers left home to enlist. In 2005, age 20, he served in Iraq as a technician for the Royal Corps of Signals. This experience of war had a profound effect on his mental health, as it does so many. And after a few years' service, he was discharged with a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, like so many other people who have experienced the reality of war. By 2011, 26-year-old Barry was living in Frome in Somerset, and his mum Penny was living in Pembrokeshire in Wales, not far from her mum, Barry's grandma, 84-year-old Betty Guy. Now Betty was generally in good health and equally good spirits. She enjoyed her life. But in April, May and June 2011, she'd seen her GP on a few occasions, complaining of feeling more tired than usual and having intermittent diarrhoea. A CT scan in June showed that Betty had a hernia, but her condition was getting better. Then on the 5th of September, Betty called out the GP as she was concerned that her symptoms had returned. But again, a few days later, she was feeling much more herself again. But she was still referred to tests to be on the safe side. And in October, she underwent two endoscopy examinations. The results showed that although there was some inflammation of the bowel, there was no sign of any cancerous cells. Great news. I'm sure you've seen this in someone you know, when the frequent trips to the doctor, seemingly endless tests, and the hospital admissions start to take their toll. And the usually upbeat Betty was understandably feeling rather fed up. On the 7th of November, Betty called her friend Mary and dejectedly told her that she just about had enough. 
Mary was of course concerned and immediately walked over to Betty's house to check that she was okay. It was just before 9pm and dark outside, but Mary was more concerned about her friend's welfare than her own safety. On arrival at her friend's house, Betty insisted that she was fine, just a bit under the weather and fed up with it all, but suggested that Mary call her daughter Penny. Mary agreed to do so and called Penny just after 9pm and then wished her friend a good night before heading home. Sometime between 11pm and midnight, Penny called her son Barry, who is at home in throne with his then-girlfriend, Rianne Morris. Confused as to who could be calling at this time of night, Rianne walked into the room and she heard Barry say, It's time, is it? After the call ended, Barry explained to Rianne that he had to see his mum and grandma, he got in his car and began the three-hour drive to West Wales. Barry knew just how close his mum and grandma were, and that his mum would be devastated if anything happened to her mum. In fact, in the past, she had told him that she would take her own life if her mum died. And from how his mum had been speaking on the phone that evening, he could tell that she was very upset, she was very concerned. And it seemed that she was right to be. At 2.48 the following morning, Penny placed a call to 999, and told the operator that her mum had just died in her sleep. She was 84 years old and had been suffering from bowel and stomach cancer. At 3am, the police and paramedics arrived, and it was seen confirmed that Betty Guy was indeed dead. Barry called his girlfriend, Rianne, to tell her the sad news. He was crying, he was inconsolable, and told his girlfriend through tears he'd been drinking as his beloved nan had just died. Rianne felt so sorry for him. After all, she'd heard him say that it was time, so Betty was obviously aware that her time was up and just wanted to say goodbye to her family. Thank goodness she thought that Barry had got there just in the nick of time. Betty's GP, Dr Robert Burns, saw the body later that day. He noticed some pinpoint bruising to the side of Betty's mouth and reported his findings to the coroner. But he was satisfied that Betty had died from natural causes. She was cremated on the 11th of November and a letter arrived from the surgeon just three days later confirming she had the all clear and no cancer was present. The family of course mourned the loss of Betty and then life continued. Barry separated from Rianne and in 2014 he married somebody else, Lisa Watkins. Lisa noted very early on in their relationship that Barry seemed to have a fascination with the topic of euthanasia and he would casually mention on numerous occasions that he'd helped to kill his own grandma. He even sent her a Facebook message on the anniversary of Betty's death saying, Nan died on Friday, three years ago after I killed her. Now, how would you feel if your partner spoke like this and how would you react? Would you go to the police? I wonder. Whilst it obviously concerned Lisa, she was aware that Barry had, how can we say, a loose relationship with the truth, so she didn't take his claims too seriously. She appreciated the struggles that Barry had suffered in his life, and she put this behaviour down to attention-seeking, wanting sympathy and affection. 
However, this wasn't the only issue in their relationship and the marriage broke down after just a year. But Barry seemed to have no trouble meeting new partners and if we forward wind to early 2015, he was now dating Sandra Adams. And again, quite early in their relationship, he spoke about euthanasia and dropped into conversation that he'd helped kill his grandma a few years ago, this time adding the detail that he'd smothered her with a pillow when the alcohol and pills did not work. He told her he'd gone in to see his nan and they gave her medication. He waited a while for the medication to kick in and then he placed a pillow over her face and smothered her. He told Sandra that his grandma fought back and he stopped. He had a glass of whiskey and then went back to her and placed the pillow over her face for a second time before she died. What particularly concerned Sandra of this account was that he said his grandma had fought back. If she'd asked to die or if she was so weak, would she have done this? Then he told Sandra that he'd shared this news with his wife and another girlfriend and it all made Sandra feel exceptionally uncomfortable. But Barry seemed quite happy to share this claim with other members of Sandra's family. It didn't seem to be any sort of a secret. He told Sandra's mum that his nan had cancer and when the time had come she'd asked him to help her finish her life. He said he had to smother her twice before she died. And understandably, this made Sandra's mum too feel uncomfortable and awkward. What would you do if your daughter's partner tells you this casually? And keeping it in the family, Barry also opened up with Sandra's sister at a child's birthday party at a soft place centre with Sandra and Barry there. He told her, I'm very close to my grandparents and I said I wish my nan and granddad were here before adding, I helped my nan along with a pillow. I wish she was here too. Away from seemingly talking incessantly about his grandma, Barry was prone to violent outbursts, which he would blame on his post-traumatic stress disorder. Sandra stayed in a relationship with Barry for 10 months, but he attacked her a number of times during that period. Sandra told how once we were arguing when he went for my throat, I'd scratch marks all down my neck. I was shaking from head to toe, but I managed to get away. He was arrested for that attack, but I foolishly dropped the charges when it went to court. But when their relationship ended in November 2015, Sandra Adams knew she needed to do something. She was scared that Barry was spiralling out of control and might hurt someone else. So she walked into her local police station and repeated what Barry had told her about his grandma, and suggested they took a closer look into the death of Betty Guy. Almost a year on, on the 5th of October 2016, enough new evidence had been gathered as grounds to arrest 31-year-old Barry and his 48-year-old mum Penny. Surely you think he must have expected this after being so indiscreet, but it appears not. And as we hear so often on this podcast, people who have committed serious crimes seem absolutely unable to keep this information quiet and appear to have this need to tell people for whatever reason. Whilst the mum and son were interviewed separately at the police station, officers planted a bug at Penny's house. 
and released on bail, obtaining firm evidence was never going to be easy for detectives. The pair were ordered to stay at the address and were then escorted there in a police car in the early hours. The following snippets of conversation were picked up from the covert surveillance. At 1.50am, Barry. No, honestly, you got nothing to worry about, Mum. It's me that's the one that's done the act. 6.06pm, Penny. I'm glad I didn't say I gave her tablets. 6.14pm, Barry. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Just keep our story the same. 1.53pm, Penny. Are you starting to crack? Barry. No, I can't remember. Did I text you when I said I crushed the diazepam up and crushed the zoplicone up and put it into her? Barry was also heard to say, A slip of a word here and we are in deep shit, in jail for life. And his mum seemed to conclude with the following words, She just died. She was old, she was ill, and she just died. On the 9th of January 2018, Barry Rogers and Penny John appeared in Swansea Crown Court, accused of murdering Betty Guy. The jury were presented with the evidence and had to reach a decision as to whether this was simply a misguided mercy killing from a devoted daughter and a grandson who wanted to end their mom-stroke-grandma's suffering, or whether there was an entirely more sinister motive. The decision of the jury was unanimous. Both were found guilty of murder. Barry Rogers wept openly with his head in his hands, whilst Penny appeared stoic, staring straight ahead, seemingly without any emotion. The judge said they committed the murder on a belief, a misguided belief held by each of you, that the murder was an act of mercy. But he made clear that Mrs Guy was not terminally ill. She did not have any form of cancer. Mrs Guy had mobility problems, but she wasn't bedbound. She was in pain and had been prescribed a painkiller, but there's no evidence at all to suggest that Mrs Guy was suffering unbearable pain. You did not therefore kill Mrs Guy because she had or you believe she had a terminal illness. Again, this was not a case where Mrs Guy was suffering, or you believe she was suffering an unbearable pain, and you wanted to bring that pain to an end. You believe Mrs Guy was old and ill and wanted to die, and you believed you should end her life. You each had your role to play. You, Ms John, decided that the time had come to kill your mum. You arranged for your son to come and carry out the killing, You gave your mum drugs, intending to sedate her. And you, Barry Rogers, you were the one to place the pillow over Mrs Guy's face and to suffocate her. The QC, defending Penny, had told how her client had suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of an extremely abusive, extremely violent relationship of 22 years with Kenny John, who, as we've heard, she met at the age of 16, and she urged the court to conclude that Betty's death may have been a killing based on care and love, because otherwise there was no motive. She said, there's no motive for this, there's no motive whatsoever. There's no question of some sort of violent motive. There's no financial motive, 
Quite the contrary, there's every emotional reason for it to go the other way. But the jury weren't convinced. And family members had their own theories regarding motivation, suggesting a weird relationship between the mum and son may have had more to do with the killing. Roger's aunt said, They did it for kicks. They did it because they could do it and thought they could get away with it. They enjoyed killing her together. They are not mentally stable. It made me sick to see them in court together. They treat it like a big joke. They were making licking signs to each other. Roger's ex-partner Sandra said, They would have conversations about sex. Things most people would never discuss with their parents. It would make me feel very uncomfortable. They were close. There have been suggestions that their relationship was sexual. And that would not surprise me. And Roger's paternal grandma had also distanced herself from him. She said, There's something nasty and evil about him. I disowned him years ago. It could have been me. I'd be glad to get him out of society. He's creepy. She also said that Penny, her ex-daughter-in-law, was as much of a fantasist as her grandson and had once lied that she was being treated for leukaemia. After the verdict, Betty Guy's daughter, Lorraine, said her family had been shocked and horrified to learn her mum may have been murdered, saying, Seven years after my mum's death, my brothers, my sons, myself, and other members of the family were shocked and horrified to learn from the police that my mother, Mrs Betty Guy, may not have died from natural causes and that my sister and her son were to be charged with her murder. We grieved once after her death and now we have to go through a different kind of grief. We are shocked that a member of my own family is capable of committing such a despicable act on an old lady. My mother was in no way ill enough to warrant a mercy killing. I'd spoken to her doctor some months before and was reassured of her health. I find it difficult to come to terms with the fact that her life ended before it should have done naturally. Now this case has drawn to a close, we are satisfied that justice has prevailed and now we can close this very sad chapter in our lives. The CPS issued a statement to defend their use of covert recordings. They said, Covert recordings such as these are not common, but in this case it provided evidence for the CPS to present to the jury, demonstrating that the killing of Betty Guy was both deliberate and planned. Both Penny and Barry are both locked up at Her Majesty's pleasure. Penny is at Full Sutton and Barry is at Parkhurst on the Isle of Wight. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's clear that Betty was killed by Barry and Penny, I think, wasn't it? Assuming yes, what was the motivation? Surely it wasn't for the pleasure of murder, as was suggested. Did Betty have the conversation with her daughter Penny, so that when the time came she wanted to be helped along, as Barry referred to the killing? It seems unlikely as Betty, although understandably frustrated with her period of ill health, was otherwise in fine spirits and had not previously expressed any interest in assisted suicide as far as her family were concerned. There was no financial gain to be had and no last-minute change of wills. And what about Barry's willingness to tell anyone who would listen 
about the way he'd helped his grandma along. It suggests a genuine belief that he thought he was doing the right thing, doesn't it? Or was it just a way of easing his guilt? In Penny's defence, it was suggested that she suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder due to the 22 years she claimed she'd spent in an abusive relationship with Barry's dad, who incidentally now lives in Thailand and has nothing to do with his ex-wife and son. And Barry too clearly had a far from ideal childhood. But whilst these might be mitigating circumstances to some degree, does it really justify the so-called mercy killing of an 84-year-old woman with potentially several more years ahead of her? So many questions. But like all families, so much cannot ever be fully understood by those of us on the outside, and we will never know the full truth. But I would suggest that sometimes that isn't always such a bad thing. But we should end today with our thoughts going out to the family of Betty, who was killed by those she trusted the most, her family. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this show or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group, where nearly 80,000 of us discuss all things UK True Crime 24-7. It's many things, it's never dull. And to keep this podcast coming along every week, as if you would ever want it to end right, join my community at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Remember, with every annual subscription, I'll send you a signed copy of my book on Scottish serial killer Angus Sinclair. A ray of sunshine in this often cruel world. Oh my, I think I'm a little incoherent. So on that somewhat confused bombshell, Thanks again to Hayes from Podcast You Wrote, and I'll speak to you again on Tuesday. Until then, no more tears for Marcelo Bielsa, and as usual, despite all the others, please do stay classy. Cheerio for now.